0: We are continuing our series through the book of Exodus, and uh, just a quick reminder, a couple of announcements that you saw back on the screen, but um, next Sunday, uh, if you are new to the church or wanting to learn a little bit more about the church, then you can find out more information about that by joining us for a lunch at our house, uh, November 30th, next week. Um, Just drop drop back into the, if you stop by the loop and just, um, if you can RSVP, that'll help us to to prepare for food. And then if you've never been baptized before, please let us know. We we value the, the importance of baptism. Baptism is an incredible opportunity for us to celebrate what God has done in our life through our faith in Jesus. And um, it's a very powerful, powerful time. Every one of us are called to be baptized according to the scriptures. So if you've never been baptized, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, again, come and see me um, or send me an email and we can, uh, we can get you ready for the baptism which is happening um, in the early part of November. I remember the very first time that I traveled to the States on, on a business trip. I was in business for many years before um, the Lord called me into ministry, and it was 1996. I remember the trip so, so vividly. I uh, started off in New York City, uh, eventually came here to Chicago and spent some time here in Chicago, went down to Memphis, Tennessee, and then wait for it. It gets a whole bunch better. Went to Des Moines, Iowa, Uh, Philip Christ is around here, Des Moines, Iowa, and then Decatur, Illinois. Decatur, Illinois was where I ended up. Um, So you can see how the trip was kind of building to a massive, massive climax. Um, But it was an incredible time, just seeing the the sights and the sounds of of America coming from a, a very small town in South Africa. It was very, very overwhelming at times. I remember distinctly, though, the 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 challenge, what what kind of stuck in my mind the most, and this is going to sound a little bit odd, but the challenge or the overwhelming challenge of ordering a sandwich here in America. So let me give you a little bit of context to the South African sandwich to help you understand how intimidating this was for me. In South Africa, when you order a ham and cheese, you get one choice. Do you want brown bread or do you want white bread? That's it. So you order your ham and cheese sandwich, choosing white or brown bread, and they literally take the slice of ham, single slice of ham that they have in their kitchen, with a single slice of cheese, and they sandwich it between two very thin slices of bread. There you go. That's your ham and cheese sandwich. So you can imagine my incredible intimidation when for the very first time here on a business trip, I was, I, you know, I was standing in line ready to order a sandwich from a very busy deli. There were 15 or 20 very annoyed business people behind me trying to get their sandwich ordered and there I was for the, at the very first time confound, you know, this is, this amazing challenge of all these incredible options. Every single item, as you know, that goes into a sandwich here in America, you have a choice and it 's not just a choice of one or two things it 's multiple choices of absolutely everything, including the mayonnaise, which can be low fat or, or normal or flavored or whatever. You can choose to have it in excess, you can choose to have it normal. You can either go easy on the mayonnaise or no mayonnaise whatsoever. The choices are endless. I hate to admit this, but the first couple of times I went into line. Stood there and realized that it was actually too overwhelming for me and I literally stepped aside and found something much simpler to order for lunch But I distinctly remember the first time that I successfully ordered a sandwich here in America Now this to you might seem like a silly thing, but to me it was an incredible victory I overcame what was so intimidating and overwhelming, and for the rest of that business trip, all I ever wanted to do was order sandwiches and show off the incredible skill that I had now learnt, the ability to master the American sandwich. Now, that's a, a little bit of a silly story, and you're probably wondering, how on earth am I going to transition into the Scripture from that? Well, this is kind of what I wanted to introduce, because I think sometimes when we read the Scriptures, especially the book of Exodus, like we have been studying, it's very easy for us to to look at, 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 the, at the people, the Israelites especially, in this, in this account of journeying with God, and and. and And we find it confusing how they can continually be overwhelmed by situations and circumstances. We get the initial sense of being overwhelmed. We get the initial kind of resistance when there's opposition or struggle that they have to overcome. But surely our thought is, and if you're anything like me, when I read the book of Exodus, I see the Israelites and I say, come on, guys, you've got a victory here and there. Build off of that momentum. Build off of that victory. Don't be consumed time and time again by being intimidated, just like I had to overcome ordering the sandwich here in the States. God has an incredible plan and purpose for us. And today what I want to speak about is... How do we overcome intimidation? How do we overcome that sense of being overwhelmed? How do we step into more if we don't build off of the victories that we've achieved in the past? If we don't choose to remember well what God has done in the past, we will struggle to step into the fullness of what he has for us. There's an incredible call and destiny upon each and every one of us, simply by virtue of us being children of God. God has called us and chosen us for a time such as this. But we can often find ourselves overwhelmed by disappointments and struggles, which seem so close, and yet we forget the faithfulness of God, which seems so distant and seems so far when we come up against opposition. So what I want to speak about today through the book of Exodus, Exodus 17, Exodus 16 and 17, is the importance of remembering the faithfulness of God the importance of remembering the faithfulness of God. Now, as I said, we are studying the book of Exodus, and the way we've approached this book, has the sound gone off? It sounds like the sound's still on? Okay, still on, great. So the way we've approached this particular book is to look at three particular stories that are intertwined together. The story of Moses from, from failed leader to friend of God, the story of God's people initially enslaved eventually set free, but ultimately Israel walking into the, 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 the knowledge and the certainty and the assurance of who they always were, this, this, this holy nation and, and God's treasured possession. But the greatest story in the book of Exodus is the story of God himself. And that's where this, this particular journey, our journey as a church, is actually leading to. We're going to end in three weeks' time in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, which for me is the high point of the book of Exodus. Moses is asking God, God, don't send us out unless you go with us. And God gives this incredible promise. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I think that's one of the most profound verses in all of scripture. God's revealing his will, his way to us. God's way for your life, God's way for my life. No matter what you face is this, that God's presence goes with you and he gives you rest. That's God's way for your business. That's God's way for your family. That's God's way for for today. That's God's way for tomorrow. His presence going with us and giving us rest. We speak a lot about God's presence at church in the city. It's important. We've learned so far through the book of Exodus that that God's presence, when we're in God's presence, we, we learn who God is. We have a revelation of who he is. Not only that, but we see God's incredible power on display. Also, we get to see God's magnificence and his glory. That's what Exodus has, has shown us. God's presence is made up of revelation. God's presence is made up of, of, of understanding his power, and we see his magnificent glory. And so what we've done is we've, is we've journeyed so far, and, and that kind of brings us to, to uh, Exodus chapter 16. Now, if you've been following in on, on the Bible reading plan that we've put out, uh, firstly, I want to thank you for doing that. And secondly, you're probably sitting there saying, well, the prescribed text for today was meant to be Exodus chapter 19, or sorry, Exodus chapter 18. And I want to say, yes, it is, it was. We were meant to study Exodus 18 today. But as I was preparing, as I was praying for, 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 you know, for this morning, I felt that there was still some unfinished work that God wanted to do from last week. So here's how we're going to approach this morning. I'm going to take... About 10 minutes to, to, or 8 to 10 minutes to, to remind us of some of the, of the things we learned from Exodus 16 from, from last Sunday. And once we've done that, once I've, I've caught everyone up and, and, and reminded us of some of these important truths, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 17 together and learn about the importance of remembering God's faithfulness well. The story of Exodus so far is one of God's people being rescued out of slavery, they, they cross the Red Sea, and they've seen their oppressors completely annihilated. The Egyptians have been swallowed up in the Red Sea. And, and as a nation, they are pressing on towards their inheritance. They are pressing on to the promised land that God has for them. And they're doing this constantly under the, the power and the presence of the Lord. The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And along this journey, along this 40-year this journey, God has constantly shown his faithfulness to his people, although the Israelites have constantly struggled to trust in the Lord. Last week, we, we, we read a scripture, a verse out of Exodus 16, where literally the Israelites cried out to God and, they said, and to Moses, and they said, we would rather... Eat, eat food in Egypt as slaves, then have to trust God to, for Him to feed us as freed people. And so when we read Exodus, we often uh, focus in on, on Israel being this, this, this nation of, of grumbling, hard-hearted slaves. But God, when He looks at Israel, he sees His son. We looked at this incredible verse in Hosea chapter 11. How God says, I called my son out of Egypt. I taught them how to walk, taking them by the arms, lifting them like a baby to my cheek. I bent down to feed them. Last week, we learned how God was essentially saying to the nation of Israel, I am yours and you are mine. And we're in this together and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. I will provide every single step of the way. And God did that by providing this this manna from heaven, this, this food, this bread from heaven. Every single day, a miracle happened where God would allow manna from heaven to fall upon the earth, and the Israelites were invited to gather it up. But God wasn't just meeting the needs, the physical needs of his people. He was doing something so much more important. And this is where we get to the crux of of what I want to speak about today. God wasn't just meeting their physical needs. God was imparting his heart to his people. God was teaching them. God was training them. God was, was shaping them. God was molding them so that they, the Israelites, could carry his heart and display his glory before the nation's. Like any good father, he was preparing his children to carry on in the family business. And that's exactly what God is doing with us, friends. God wants us, God wants you and me to display his heart, his heart of love and compassion and grace and mercy. God wants us to display his heart to the nations. And to that end, he is is growing us, he is molding us, he is shaping us, The main area, the main way that God is shaping us is in the area of faith. Faith is this environment. Faith is the way that we relate to God and God in turn relates to us. And we learned last week that the ingredients of faith are three things. Love, trust, and obedience. God is, God is teaching Israel. God is teaching us. He says this. He says, if you love me, you will trust me. And if you trust me, you will obey me. And if you obey, if you obey me, you will see that I will display my faithfulness. And it will be a reminder to you that you are to live this way all the time. That's how we grow in faith, friends. The way you and I grow in faith is remembering God's faithfulness in small things so that when we face big challenges, we remember that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how David was able to, able to, to, to stand up against Goliath and defeat him. If you read First Kings chapter 16, David says, God has delivered me from the hand of the bear and the lion. You were just an uncircumcised Philistine. If God can deliver me from this, God can deliver me from, from you. That's how we grow in faith, remembering God's faithfulness, remembering what God has done in the past. And then finally last week, what we learned was that God wasn't just showing us this history lesson in Exodus 16, but he was pointing us to the person of Jesus, and how in John chapter 6, Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, he says I am the bread of life. Anyone Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And anyone who believes in me will never go thirsty. The invitation is, is so simple, but yet so profound. Jesus is inviting us to come to him, to, to incline our ear and our heart to him, to wait on Jesus as we, as we worship him, as we, as we exalt his name, to listen to his voice with our Bibles in hand, so that we can hear what, what he is saying to us. And then not just listening, but believing in Jesus, standing on his word, putting his word into practice. Friends, that's how we live in freedom. Jesus makes the statement in John chapter eight. He says this, he says, he says, um, he says if you abide, uh, um, he says this, you will know the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's one of those great kind of Christian cliches that we love to kind of make a bumper sticker of and stick on the back of our car or, or, or stick on a fridge. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yes, that is true. God will set us free if we know the truth. But there's a verse that comes before that. And Jesus says this, if you hold on to my teaching see, if you, if you hold on to my teaching, if you, if you receive my teaching, if you live in my teaching, if you grab hold of and stand on my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what God is wanting us to do. We pray, we we are taught to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Friends, God is not inviting us to pray, although he is, God is not inviting us to pray just to meet our physical needs, our physical daily bread. He's saying... Pray that you would hear my word into your heart. Lord, give me today the daily bread, your voice, your word into my situation so that I can hold on to your teaching, stand on your word, because if I stand on your word, then I'm able to walk into freedom. We need to trust every day for Jesus to speak to us. That's the privilege you and I have as believers in him. Don't give that away. Don't give that privilege away. Don't run to someone else and and, and ask their perspective, although perspective from friends is important. Don't download a sermon and try and listen to someone else's revelation, uh, uh, revelation, although listening to sermons is not wrong. But don't do that in place of pressing into the Father for yourself as his son and daughter, and hear his voice spoken into your situation. That's the daily bread that we need to live on. That's what we need to do, inclining our hearts to Him. And so with that in mind, we come to Exodus 17. And I'm gonna do a, a James on us this morning and, and read quite a chunk of, te- of, of the scripture today and just make some comments as we go and see what God would say to us. Exodus chapter 17, verse, verse one. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin that's a good place to leave. Set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So just get the context in mind. Exodus 16, God is saying, I am going to miraculously, supernaturally, every day provide manna from heaven. And then Exodus 17 is telling us that, that Israel are, are now journeying, daily journeying. Wherever the Lord commands them to go, they are following the leading of the Lord. And each and every day, God is supernaturally providing manna or bread from heaven. He's teaching them. He's training them. Trust me. Listen to my voice. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm in this with you. I am journeying with you day to day. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So, God, is, God says, This is what I imagine God saying to the Israelites All right, guys, listen, I know that we're camping here, and I know there's no water to drink. But I, what I want you to do, I want you to look back, and I want you to remember everything that has happened to get you to this point. I want you to remember the plagues, and I want you to remember the Passover. It delivered you from Egypt. And I want you to remember the Red Sea where, where the Egyptians were destroyed. And I want you to remember the waters at Mara, which were bitter, and a, and, and, and a stick was thrown in, and it was completely transformed to sweet water. And I want you to remember the daily provision of bread from heaven. Verse two. So instead of the Israelites saying, all right, God has never let us down, why would he do so now? Look what happened. So they quarreled with Moses. And they said, give us water to drink. You see, I, the, the way I read that is, is to the Israelites, manna was so yesterday. You know, what have you done for me lately, Lord? Manna was like, oh, okay. You know, even though, Lord, I know that you're doing something miraculous every day, it, it's amazing how, how, how comfortable, how familiar they became with the miraculous. And, and we've got to be careful that we don't do that with the Lord. Can I just say as an aside, we live in such a, an instant gratification society, culture. It's so easy for us to become kind of very familiar with what the Lord is doing. Oh, you know, manna from heaven, that's so yesterday, Lord. What are you doing for me now? What, are you, what is your word for me now? No, oh, friends, God has spoken. God has, God has spoken. His presence is with us every day. Don't, don't lose sight of that. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Let me just pause there for a moment and say, this is not, in Exodus 16, we learned that the, that the Israelites uh, grumbled against Moses. And there's a very different word that is used here. It's the word quarrel. To grumble means to complain, but, but, to, but to quarrel is something, is something altogether different. In the original Hebrew, to, to quarrel against somebody literally is to, is to frame a legal case and to bring an accus- a legal accusation against somebody. The Israelites... We're accusing Moses of manslaughter before the effect, before it happened. They said to him, in verse 3, they said, Moses, you've brought us out of Egypt just so that we can die. And they were adamant that he was guilty. They were ready to stone him. But you see, Moses knew exactly who the Israelites were really accusing. They were accusing the Lord. Look at verse 2. Why do you put the Lord to the test? And what was the accusation that Israel was throwing at, at, at the Lord? Verse 7 tells us, is the Lord among us or not? Is God with us or isn't he? Is God for us or is God against us? That's the legal accusation that they were throwing at the Lord. Moses was done. His patience had come to an end. The people were done. Their patience had reached an end, but not God's. Look at verse five. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. If we had time, I'd explain this in more detail, but essentially what God is doing here is he's like, all right, you want a trial? You're throwing legal things against me. You are suing me. Let's have the trial that you want, and the language that is used in those verses is literally the scene being set for the staging of a trial. On the one hand, you have the elders who are who or what? They're the witnesses. They're the jury. In Israeli culture, the elders stood and they, and, and they were the jury at any trial. On the other hand, you have Moses holding the rod or the staff, which represents God's ultimate authority and judgment upon injustice. And who was the accused? You see, the people were hoping that the accused was Moses. And Moses was hoping that the, that the accused were the people of Israel. Look at verse six. The Lord says, I will stand there before you. Now again, that, that language is generally used of an inferior Standing in humility before someone who's superior. And God is saying, I will come and stand before you as the accused. I will be tried in your place. Some translations say, by the rock at Horeb. But most translations say, on the rock. I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. The Lord is saying, strike me. I'll be tried in your place. And water will come out from it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You see, Israel were were thirsty. And, and on the one hand, God was providing water for the for, for the Israelites to drink. But on a a far greater level, God is doing something so much more significant. He is settling the issue that they are asking Is God with us or not? He's building them a memorial. He's building them something that they can look back on and remember. Something that they can look back on and, and settle the fact that God is with them forever. What is that memorial? Or should I say, who is that memorial? That memorial is Jesus. I want you to turn very quickly to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. John 7 is this incredible passage of Scripture where... Uh, it says in, in verse 1 after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go into Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, so John 7 is describing this incredible Jewish memorial, this incredible Jewish festival where the Israelites were celebrating the festival of tabernacles. The festival of tabernacles was a celebration, an annual celebration that reminded the people of Israel that God was always with them on their journey through the wilderness. Isn't it remarkable that in hindsight, they got to realize that God was always with them? And that's what's so important for us, friends. When we read this story, we are reading it from a bird's eye view. We see the beginning and we see the end, which is why we get so frustrated with the Israelites. But when you and I are in the story, when you and I are the story, if we're not careful, we can forget God's faithfulness. And that's what's going on here. So at this feast of of tabernacles where they're celebrating the faithfulness of God, what would happen is every single day for seven days, the Israelites would walk to the pool of Siloam where the priest would draw water. and, And with singing and dancing, the whole nation would walk towards the temple and the priest, the high priest would pour out water on the, on the um, altar. And as they were doing that, they were, they were celebrating the fact that God was with his people. And that when God's kingdom would, would come, that God would pour out his spirit upon his people. Verse 37 of John 7 tells us that for seven days, Jesus is there in Jerusalem, watching the nation of Israel follow, religiously follow this celebration. And this cry is beginning to rise up in Jesus' heart. Day one, day two, all the way through to the greatest and final day, the eighth day. Look at verse 37. On the eighth day, on the last day, on the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, he stands up and he, and he shouts to the, to the whole nation of Israel. He says, he says, listen, I am the fulfillment of the celebration that you are are, are performing every single day. I am the rock that was struck in Exodus 37 that you are celebrating today. I am the one who stood in your place when you should have been judged and you should have been punished and tried. I came in your place. And if you believe in me and if you come to me, from within you will flow rivers of living water. And, your, and, and, and this kingdom that you're hoping will one day come, let me tell you, that kingdom is at hand. And if you believe in me, rivers of water will flow from within. Not just, Jesus is saying, we don't just get a drink from him. He is the well that is within us. He is the well that is within us. John chapter four says that if we believe in Jesus, from within our very beings, we'll we'll rise up an eternal well of life-giving water. I brought a little illustration just to kind of emphasise that point. Don't get nervous when there's water around. But I think sometimes when, when we think that coming to Jesus to refresh us and to receive water is like getting a drink, you know, Jesus tops up some water, tops up the water in our hearts and, and we and we refresh. But you see the busyness of life and the demands of ministry or or, or business or calling or family. Or people coming to you, they they place a withdrawal on you. They draw from you. And if we think that Jesus is just there to give us a little bit of a top-up, what happens is very quickly we become empty. But you see, what this verse is telling us is Jesus is not just a little top-up for us. Jesus is an eternal well of living water that rises up within us and constantly bubbles over. What God wants is for us to be like this, overflowing. And so when people, I don't know why my hand's shaking, when people, oh my goodness, when people come to drink from us, if this well, if we realize that Jesus is this well, that Jesus is living within us, And what we give to people is not the source of the well. What we give to people is the overflow every day. That's what people drink from. Friends, don't think Jesus is a little top-up for a, a tired life. Jesus is the well of living water inside of you. What Jesus is saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, I want you to remember God is eternally patient. And I want you to remember that God is ever present. He settled the issue once and for all. Is God with us or not? But there's one other truth that we want to learn. Not only is Jesus, back to Exodus 17, not only is Jesus wanting Israel to remember that God is eternally patient and ever present, But he's wanting them to remember that God is all powerful. Exodus 17, verse 8: the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, unprovoked. Israel didn't pick a fight. Unprovoked! suddenly there was opposition, suddenly there was conflict, suddenly there was, there was something or someone that was coming against them to oppose them from walking into the plan and purpose of God. And friends, can I say, we shouldn't be surprised when you and I decide to, make, to, to follow Jesus and give our hearts to him and press on to, to, to trust, to walk into the fullness of our inheritance. We shouldn't be surprised if opposition unexpectedly rises up and opposes us. But can I say this? Opposition does not mean inevitable defeat. And I'm saying that with strength and with conviction, not accusing you, but saying, friends, don't give in. Sometimes we make the mistake that just because we face opposition, we assume that defeat is inevitable. And I want to say no. Opposition comes. We're gonna learn how we find victory in Jesus, Moses said to Joshua, choose some, of our, uh, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I wish we had time to, to unpack this in more detail, but essentially what this is teaching us is, is this. The importance of prayer, the importance of crying out to God, The importance of pressing into God for his wisdom and for his understanding. Moses going up onto the hill and holding up his hands is a symbol of Moses crying out to God in prayer. But prayer is not enough. To walk into victory, we need responsible or reasonable action that comes out of prayer. When, when we pray, God speaks, and God gives us his heart, and he gives us wisdom, and he gives us insight, and he tells us what to do. But friends, we have to put it into practice. Reasonable action alone is not good enough. Prayer on its by itself is not enough. It's when Moses and Joshua work together, victory comes. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset." So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Who prevailed? Was it Moses or was it Joshua? What leads us into victory? Is it prayer or is it faithful action? No, it's both. God prevails. God speaks. God imparts his heart. And we listen and we hear and then we respond with faith. We're trusting as a church to see the lost saved. We've been speaking about that and praying into that and and. and, 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 and doing all that we can. And Romans chapter 10 emphasizes this point. It says this in Romans 10, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we can pray that, Lord, we pray, that anyone who calls on your name will be saved. But it goes on to say this, how can someone call on the name of someone they do not believe in? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to the poor. You see, we, we, we long to see people saved. We cry out for people to be saved. But they can't call unless initially we respond with faith and put into action what God is calling us to do. Then the Lord said, verse 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, is that word. And make sure, this is fascinating, he says, make sure that Joshua hears of it. I find that fascinating. Why is God so insistent that Joshua remember his faithfulness in bringing them into victory? Because Joshua is the one that's going to lead Israel into their inheritance, When they cross the Jordan, it's going to be Joshua who's leading the Israelites into the plan and purpose of God. And God was insistent that Joshua remember victory in the small things so that when they face big challenges, they know that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. These are the words Joshua was spoken to by the Lord. God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, as I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever we go. Wherever you go. Friends, I'm gonna bring this into land. We're gonna get practical for a couple minutes, and then we're gonna go into a time of ministry. If you and I, individually, as a church, And can I say, even as a nation, if we are wanting to walk into all that God has for us, we need to be people of faith, people of courage, people of boldness. Not apathetic, but intentionally pressing forward and pressing on. But in order to do that, we must remember God's faithfulness yesterday in order to walk into all that he has for us today we must remember god's faithfulness yesterday in order to walk into all that he has for today, uh, to, to, uh, all that he has for us today i know as a church we are, we are standing on the cusp of, and, and some news will come in, 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 in some time, in a few weeks or a few months, but there is, a, there is a faith venture that is brewing in our hearts as a leadership team that we are gonna share with you in a few weeks. God stirring our hearts for more. God challenging us. God saying, I've got more for you, but it's gonna require faith. I know there are people sitting in this room wanting to press into more. Maybe trusting for breakthrough in the area of healing or finance or trusting for a new job, struggles that we're going through. Friends, as an, a nation, we, we stand at a, at, a, at a critical time where it is very easy for us to get, get overwhelmed and, and fearful with all that is about to happen in the, in the coming weeks. Wherever we are on this faith journey, I want to give us a few very practical things so that we can step into everything God has for us. Number one, remember the environment for faith is love, trust, and obedience. As you are standing trusting for breakthrough, remember the environment of faith it's love. Love God with all your heart. Learn to trust him. And whatever he says, put it into practice. Remember the environment of faith. Secondly, I want to say, remember small victories. As you, some of you are standing here trusting for jobs or for healing physically or whatever, I want to say this. If you look back, God will show you where he's brought a small victory in the past that will be an encouragement for you to, ha- to, 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 to stand on as, you, as you're facing this particular challenge. If you're trusting for a new job, you may not have lost your job in the past. This might be the first time that you have lost your job. But if you look back, I guarantee God will show you where he's shown his faithfulness to you before. And so today you can say, God was faithful with me then. I know he's not going to forsake me now. Remember the small victories. Thirdly, I want to say, remember that fruitfulness often comes in the most surprising of places. Where was the one place Israel should not have looked for water? Iraq. A rock. Iraq. Rock. And where did water come? From a rock. God is famous for bringing fruitfulness where there used to be barrenness. God is famous for bringing breakthrough where it looks impossible. He says to Joshua in Joshua 3, he says, he says the city of Jericho is greatly walled up. See, I have given the city into your hands. Our nation Friends, is at a fearful, it's, it's at a terrifying place sometimes. But I want to say this, friends: God is able to bring deliverance and breakthrough. Sing, O oh barren woman! Sing, O oh barren woman! For you who never bore a child, will be more fruitful. Why? Because the Lord, your God, is your husband. That's the hope for this nation. That's the hope for your job situation. That's the hope for your healing, fruitfulness, where there's barrenness. Breakthrough where there's fortified cities. Remember, God is eternally patient. When your faith wobbles, when my faith wobbles, Jesus remains steadfast. Remember, He is ever present. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty from the journey? Jesus lives within. You don't have to go far. The well of living water by the Holy Spirit is in your heart. Remember, God is all-powerful. His name is the banner that is over us. Call on His power for breakthrough.